if you want to talk a little bit about Hebrew and Israelis, I'll tell you. You know which language the Torah has never been translated to? The Hebrew. Torah has never been translated to Hebrew. Torah has never been translated to Hebrew. I remember years ago we were in New York somewhere and there was a Torah reading on Shabbos and a good Israeli friend of mine wasn't religious. He comes to me after the Torah reading and he said, Rabbi, no evanti klum. I didn't understand a word. All right, so I want to welcome everyone to uh, SoulWord Studios. We're doing a little informal interview podcast with uh, somebody that I just ran into randomly yesterday at the aisle. Many people know that we're here in the five towns, which is, Baruch Hashem, less than 15 minutes from the aisle, and I'm there quite often. So yesterday I was, it was Chofdala uh, Tevis, and I was sitting in the back, and Rabbi Asi Spiegel, now of Tzfas, came over to me and he said, you know what you told me? Do you remember what you told me? Um, remind me. You said, I'm your biggest fan. Oh, that's right. I did. I, did I said, you're that. an Israeli. How can you be my fan? I speak for an American audience. You don't even, that's not your, your world. But you said, no, no, I'm your biggest fan. I that's said, right. you know what? I'm not going to argue with you. But you know what? Come to my studio and we're going to do a podcast. Okay, here we are. Should I so, tell you why I'm your biggest fan? Yeah, convince me, yeah. <laughs> well, it started actually with Tanya. Uh, you put a CD, but uh, the map of the Tanya and the, the CD. map of Tanya is right behind you, by the way. Oh, yeah? Oh, there it is. There <laughs> it is. So, but I got to the map after I, I, I listened to the CD, and, and I learned Tanya all my life. And mm-hmm. Like many other people, I was always uh, challenged by, you know, the the makeup of the chapter, right. what co- what comes after what, and when I listened to your uh, CD lecture, I was uh, very impressed. And since then, I, I follow you. And uh, you know, I'm not in America, so I don't see all the magazines and everything. <laughs> but I'm also a fan because the amount of uh, content you release, I'm really I, I admire your output. It's amazing. Well, Hashem, I I that's nice to say. And the truth is, I wish I put out more because Mashiach's not here yet, so he's still, you know, the Baal Shem Tov. Had Elias and Hashemah, he went to heaven, he saw the soul of Mashiach, he said, when are you coming? He said, when your teachings are spread out. So I guess... Okay, well, we all got to do more, I agree. Um, Speaking of uh, Chassidus and spreading out the teachings of the Baal Shem Tov um, and Pnimiya Satayra, the inner dimensions, the the secrets of the Torah, um, you know know the Vart, that um, the Baal Shem Tov is you know the word by Bereshkli? Right, right. Okay. <laughs> this, is, I'm, this is where I'm heading. Right. Why okay. don't say the word for me and then like, take me where I'm trying to go? I'm trying to basically from Balshamtov to Miron. Okay. Okay. So, yeah, I'm. Uh, so, Miron, Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, yeah. is really the author of the Zohar, as we all know, but he's the, he's the root, is the Shoresh, the root of all Kabbalah and mysticism. And uh, we, we believe very strongly that our Rebbeim are the continuation. You know, Beresh Gley, it says over there that the Jewish people are coming out of uh, exile with an uplifted uh, right. head, right? Right, right. Um, And the Baal Shem Tov says, uplifted head is with the teachings of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, Beresh, Aramaic. Uh, it turns out it could, you could read it also as Rashbi. And also, 
And also the Rebbe says you could also read it as Rabbi Yosef Yitzchak Bar Shalom Dovber, right? Which is right. the Friedrich Rebbe. Or Ben Shnei Nasara. Right, he right, right. With it could the mother be the Rebbe the Rashab, right? And, right? and also the Rebbe Rashab. Yeah. So, so in that very word, we have basically the secret code, which is right. the teachings of the Zohar. Okay, so you have this word, Beresh, which is an Aramaic word. It's the Targumonkulis of this Pasuk. Bayad Rama, the Jews left. With the upper hand. With the upper hand, right. And and by the way, speaking of Targum. Unculus. So, Beresh Glei is really, is a, Beresh is a head. Right, right. Right. Yad Rama is a hand. Right. But when you translate, I think like the Ramam told the Ibn Tibun, when you translate, don't be so literal. That's right. That's, that's <laughs> right? actually a good example. Okay. For and it. I want to talk about this actually, what, what it means to translate Chsidis. But at any rate, so I want to get back to this idea of translating Chsidis and what it means to translate it for Americans and what it means to translate it for Israelis. But at any rate, this word Beresh, which is an Aramaic word, it has the letters Beis Reish Yod Shin, which is the letters Rabbi Shimon Ben Yechai, which is also Rabbi Yisrael Ben... Yisrael Baal Shem Tov. Yisrael Ben Abal Shem Tov, right? Or Ben Sara. Or Ben, ben Sara, right. right. Works both ways. Right. Um, or... You said the Rebbe mentioned. Oh, well, there's another. We're forgetting a big one. You're Tzfas. Right. Tzfas is uh, the Arizal. Right, right. But that, but is he, is he in the in the? Acronym? He's also yeah, yeah. In the in the, in the sicha that was Yitzchok ben Shleimer. Oh, that's right. This is Rabbi Yitzchok ben Shleimer is, is also the same base Reish Yud Shin. And then the Rebbe adds that somebody told him Rabbi Yosef Yitzchok ben Shneinosara or Shalom Daivber. Right. Also the Rebbe, fits the the Rebbe. Right. the Rebbe fits the formula. Okay, so now we got a lot of things out on the table. Uh, Meron, Balshamtov, Rashbi, uh, Arizal, Tzfas. Put it all together. <laughs> now you live in Tzfas. I do live in Tzfas. But you told me you can see you can see Meron from your backyard. I can see Meron from my porch. Uh-huh. From my porch, but I also. Go to Miron almost every day. Uh-huh. Four times a week, I give a Hasidic class in Miron, and we also have an evening caller there. So we have an evening study program in Miron every day, which is incredible. Mm-hmm. It's like the last uh, six, seven years, that's what I do every evening. And uh, What put, kind of people come to learn Hasidic? Uh, the people there are mostly religious Jews who come. Um, but for the Hasidic uh, sure that we have... It's a variety, a variety of people. That, uh, some uh, what we call Polish Hasidim, mm-hmm. some um, you know Kippa Sruga, modern Orthodox Jews. It's a variety of people. Some Lubavitchers, you know. And, Lubavitchers, right? That's right. the toughest they, crowd. They even come. They even come. And, uh, <laughs> and also, a lot of people come to daven there, and they don't come to our program. We have a unique calling. Uh huh. And then they end up getting. They end up coming to the getting shore, pulled in, you know, uh-huh. or hearing a class during uh-huh. a Mariv, you know. Uh huh. Uh-huh. You mentioned to me when I saw you yesterday that Meron is the second most visited holy site in Eretz That's right. It That's is. very surprising. Yes. Yes. No. Why is it surprising? I, I, I wouldn't have guessed it. Okay. So well, it is because the Western Wall, obviously, right. is the first okay, place. Fine. And after the Koisel, basically, Miron is most popular. It's been like this for years. However, I would say in the past five, ten years, it has grown um, tremendously. A lot of people come for Shabbos. You know, in Israel, they have what's called, uh, what's called Zimmers. You know, they have like these rooms they mm-hmm. rent. There's, I, think, I would guess, and I'm, I'm, I think I'm pretty close to, to the right number, there's about 5,000 rooms to rent in Miron. That's wild. There's maybe maybe wow. 300 families living there. Wow. But wow. 5,000 5, beds, I would say. Okay. Yeah, it's huge. And Shabbos, it's huge over there. So so it's interesting. I saw you yesterday at the oil, at the oil Chabad Lubavitch, the scene of the Lubavitch Rebbe. 
And you told me you've been you've been around. I said, where are you staying? You're staying in Crown Heights? He said, no, I'm staying right here. Right. I'm staying right here in Cambria Heights. Not Crown Heights, in Cambria Heights. And it occurred to me that like, okay, so you're in Meron almost every day. When you're coming to New York, you're staying at the aisle. Like, how would you compare? They're both places. It's interesting because they're both places where they're significant because of a burial site. And yet they're both like, Full of life, and right. but right. how would you compare the? Okay, well, I have to say before comparing, I would say you mentioned I live in Sfas, so the Arizal, which we just talked about, yeah. the Arizal is the one who brings to light this idea that hanging out at a, at a cemetery. Yeah, what's up? It's yeah, so morbid. It's so I weird. Know, I know it, it is. It is. It sounds strange. Yeah. Um, initially, but I, I gotta say, for people like us, we live there. We 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 do it on a regular basis. It's something very, very special because we do believe that the soul of the righteous person stays around the burial place. And when you come there, of course, you dive into Hashem, you mm-hmm. learn Torah Hashem, that's obvious. We don't, God forbid, dive into the tzaddik. But, gee, but just being in close proximity of, of where, where the tzaddik is buried is similar to being in close proximity to the tzaddik when the tzaddik is alive. And I got to tell you, it's, it's in, there's an expression... Baduk umenusa, you know. It's like right. at least for me, you know. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's that's from the Arizal. The Arizal is the one who talks about coming to the Kivrei Tzadikim, and so um, to compare it, it's it's um, you know it's it's hard to compare, right? Because I had the fortunate schus uh, to be by the Rebbe when the Rebbe was here in the world, alive and everything. So it's different. Come to the Rebbe, you know. I have I have movies in my mind to to mm-hmm. connect with. Mm-hmm. Where in Rashbi, you know, obviously this is almost 2,000 years ago, so it's a different relationship right. with, with the Tzadik, with Rashbi himself. Um, but if we talk about, again, like I said, being in close proximity, I'll tell you what it is. It's very simple. Let's say you learn Kabbalah, you learn Zohar, you learn Hasidus. It also makes a difference where you study it. It makes a difference when you study it. You know, you can't compare a Shabbos morning class when you're all relaxed to a midweek busy class, you know, okay. the time makes a difference, you know, okay. the mood makes a difference, but location really? apparently makes a difference too. Yes. So it's not just the what or even the when, it's the it's where. The location, yes. And, and so you're saying sitting down and learning Zayar in Meron by Kever Ashbi is different than... It is, it is. And really? I'm here, I'm saying something very personal, but, but I want to say it because <laughs> it's important. What are you here for? We no, want exactly, to hear personal. Exactly. We want personal. Exactly. <laughs> Give so, us personal. I've been doing it for a little bit more than six years, going to Meron every day. And I feel um, in my mind that, yes, those ideas are much easier to connect with. It's not even an intellectual thing. It's not even just that I understand mm-hmm. it better. It's connecting with it and feeling that it actually has relevancy to me and, and, it, and it kind of enters my being, not just my mind. Yes, absolutely. If, it, for those who haven't studied Zaire, I don't think relevancy is one of the first words that people think of because it's very esoteric. It's hard to decode it and to make sense of it. Right. Okay. It's it's uh... no relevancy. When I, when I use the word relevancy, I mean that you feel that the teaching is actually saying something to you. Like I, right. I read something and then it stays in my mind for a while to process it. That's can what I, I challenge mean. you for something? Sure. Could you tell me something from Zaire? And you could explain it to me in everyday language? Um, a concept? A concept, sure. A uh, concept we're all familiar with, but I'll just say this. Before Zohar, 
when you, we started with saying the Rashbi, Arizal, and the right, Rabbeim. Right. Yeah. So it's not just studying Zohar in Rashbi. Okay. It's studying of any Hasidus, any right. Pnimius so Zohar. Zohar and everything that comes from it. Right. So right. it doesn't have to be just straight Zohar, which right. not everybody could study. Right. Uh, but, but let me tell you something about the Zohar before I give you the example. The Zohar is, uh, is treated by most people, as like you just said, as an esoteric book, which is very hard to understand. Right. It's not completely true. It's not completely true. Zohar is actually Midrash. And Midrash has in it uh, many stories and many anecdotes and many statements that could be, that could be mm-hmm. understood. For example, mm-hmm. um, there's a story in the Zohar, or there's a mashal, like how would you say a parable in the Zohar, mm-hmm. that the king is, uh, is, is, uh, was upset at the queen. And he was so upset at her, he, he shouted, he screamed, and, and, mm-hmm. and, he, and he kicked her out of the palace. And later, he, uh, he had uh, second thoughts about it. And he was looking for her, mm-hmm. and he was searching. And he found her um, crying somewhere in the mud, very depressed. And the king talked to the, to the queen, and he, and he invited her back to the palace. Okay? And the czar says that this is a parable for God and the Jewish people. And God was upset at us and exile and everything. But at the end of days, the way it's going to be is no matter how we're going to be, and, and the Jewish people, I don't just mean the entire Jewish people. I also mean every single individual Jew comes to Zohar and says, and this is an example I'm giving, like you asked, even if you feel depressed and in the mud and crying, guess what? At the end of days, it's going to be the king himself. God himself is going to approach every Jew and, and, and bring you back into the palace. So, for example, this is, this is a statement or a story from right. the Zohar that anybody could relate to. Mm-hmm. I, think, I think, by the way, that this is the main message, if I can say that. Yeah, okay. But the main message of the Zohar, which turns to be the main message of the Rebbe, I think, is that our job is to turn darkness into light. It's in Tanya. You know, right. This is all, it's all about... Exactly. And right. the, which is from Zohar. Right. Exactly, exactly. Right. Which is why it's in Aramaic. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, yeah, right. Yeah, there's a shtickle, is that, is that from uh, in Perik uh, Yud, chapter 10, when it's talking about the different types of tzaddik, the different levels of tzaddik. Right, right, right. Is that a piece of Zayar there? Yeah, yeah, it says that yeah. in Eichel of Rabshim and there's the story, yeah. there's a story of Rabbi Chia. So that's, that's the level in heaven where Rashbi Right, that's resides. like the space of Rashbi, right, right. right? And the space of Rashbi is... Only a person who turns darkness into light is allowed in. Now, again, in the Zohar, when you read it, it's yeah. a mystical story of Rabbi Chia crying right. and going right. up to heaven. When you read it in the Zohar, it sounds unrelatable to a common person, but that's exactly the point. If we do get into the concept that we also could process the idea of turning darkness into light, guess what? We just entered the chamber of Rabbi Shimon ben Yochai. <laughs> so what, okay. So when you turn darkness into light, you have entered the chamber of, of Rabbi Shimon. Shimon. Okay, so what does turning darkness into light mean? Because that's poetry. It is, okay. it is. It sounds like a slogan, but let's let's uh, break it apart. <laughs> okay. Let's break it apart to, to our uh, daily life. And don't tell me, uh, No, no, no. I, <laughs> we talked about relevancy. You caught me on that word? Let's make it relevant. It's very simple. In principle, it's simple. Darkness is when I find myself um, in negative thoughts. You know, a person, somebody just humiliated me. We had a conversation okay. with somebody and he just gave it to me, okay? Great. So you're talking and, about internal darkness, subjective darkness. Yes, yes, yes. I'm talking about in the inner journey. This is 
And in the inner journey, if I'm able to rethink my own thoughts and say, you know what, it can't be that this person just humiliated me. There must be some message from above. And instead of getting all upset and angry and wanting to kill the guy, God forbid, you know, I'm working on myself to say, no, this, there must be some light in there. I can't just treat this as darkness. It's a lot of inner work. It's very, very hard. Mm-hmm. But that's, that's how I look at mm-hmm. it, you know. Mm-hmm. And if I do that, if I'm able to fight those thoughts, or <laughs> right. at least I try to, uh-huh. you know what, at least I try. Mm-hmm. At least I know that it could be done, even right. if I can't do it. I'm already cl- getting closer to the chamber of Rabbi Shimon because I'm, I'm going on that stream I of consciousness. I love that concept. So when you reframe a negative experience and either you find the good or at least you embrace the idea that there must be good, you're entering the chamber of Rabbi Shimon. I think so, yeah. I think when, <laughs> That's cool. Yes, it is. It's super cool. Yeah. You know, because yeah. once you enter the chamber of Rabbi Shimon, you're not alone. Oh, my gosh. You wow. have some help from above. You're like, okay, wow. you are, you're in the club, okay? <laughs> I think that's how, that's how uh, it feels. Wow. Yeah. Wow, that's good. That's good stuff. Okay. So we're, we're talking a little bit about... That's good, very good stuff. <laughs> okay. okay. We're talking a little bit about translate. We spent Targumunculus and translating Chsidis and uh, English and Hebrew. Right. Okay. So... I have. I grew up in America. I'm an American boy. I my mamaloshin is English. By the way, my favorite. You sent me le- yesterday a letter of the Rebbe in English. My favorite thing in the world is the Rebbe's letters in English. And I don't mean letters the Rebbe wrote in Hebrew or Yiddish that were translated in English because that's a translator. But when the Rebbe's own English. And by the way, people. A lot of people don't understand. If the Rebbe signed a letter, it doesn't matter what language it was in. Of course, the Rebbe dictated. Okay, let's back up a little bit. Even letters in Hebrew or Yiddish that have been dictated, right. and then secretary would give them back to give the letter back to the Rebbe. The Rebbe would would review and edit and change. And if even the slightest punctuation mark was off, the Rebbe would change it. Right. Okay. And if the Rebbe signed it, that means it's the Rebbe's words and punctuation. And everything is the Rebbe's, including in English. And there are hundreds of pages of documents that we have of the Rebbe making very very meticulous edits. In English. So it wasn't like, oh, the Rebbe wasn't so particular. A lot of people think that. No, if the Rebbe signed a letter, it's in English. It's the Rebbe's English down to the spelling, you know, down to everything, down to a comma. All right. So I love English letters of the Rebbe because that's my Nevesh is my animal soul speaks English. So, okay, I know English and not just the language of English, but the American mindset. I I think I understand. This is where I come from. This is what I get. This is my beer. You know who I never understood? Who? Israelis. Okay. I don't, what makes them tick? I don't, do you, do you, where are you from? I'm from Israel. I'm but born we, in Israel. My parents are born in Israel. Oh, wow. Yeah. Second generation. I'm, I'm, yeah. No, I'm even fifth generation Israeli from one grandmother, believe it or not. Wow. Okay. Yeah, I'm very, very Israeli. Okay. Okay. So <laughs> what's up with the, what's up with the Israelis? Like what, what? They're so okay, strange. That's, that's, that's a big question. But let me tell you before what's up with Israel. I just have to insert this. Yeah. Because I know maybe I'm going to blow your mind. I got okay. to tell you something. Yeah. Even though I'm Israeli and Hebrew is my first language yeah. and the whole thing. Yeah. I love the Rebbe's letters in English more than his letters in Hebrew. Why? How do you like that? Why? Be- why? Because in English, I feel that the Rebbe is... Um, coming to the culture and to American mind a lot more than, than I feel it in the Hebrew. Because Hebrew is, is, a, is a different language, mm-hmm. you know? And in Hebrew, even, though the, even if the Rebbe would write modern Hebrew, mm-hmm. 
there's still rabbinic Hebrew in there. Mm. Okay, so mm. it's it's it keeps a certain religious tone to it. Okay, and you can't get away from it, right? right. But in English, the the modernity of the <laughs> rabbi, the, the the look of the rabbi in the modern world uh-huh. comes out much stronger to to me. That's uh, uh-huh. if you want to talk a little bit about Hebrew and Israelis, I'll tell you, it, it's very hard. Here, I'll throw you another good line. I think okay. it's a good line. Okay. You know which language the Torah has never been translated to? To Hebrew. Torah has never been translated Torah to Hebrew. Torah has never been translated into Hebrew. It's a fact. Okay. You know, I, I, I remember years ago we were in New York somewhere and there was a Torah reading on Shabbos and a good Israeli friend of mine wasn't religious. I invited him for Shabbat and he comes to me after the Torah reading. He's like, Rabbi, lo evanti klum. I didn't understand a word. <laughs> Uh-huh. And, and he told me, how could it be? I'm Israeli. Uh-huh. They read the Torah. And I have uh-huh. no idea what it says. It's right. like, I mean, he obviously right. got a lot of words in there, right. but he couldn't make up sentences. So that tells you a lot. So about they have they have translations of Chomish. I'm not talking about like uh, King James, uh, you know, Allah Havdil. I'm saying there are authentic translations of the five books of Moses in any every language, language any language you want. Right? Okay. But not Hebrew. Except in Hebrew. Because the Israelis, they tell just read the original. Yes. Lama Nigoda. Exactly. Yeah. But no, but but they should have it in Hebrew. That's my point. Right. My point is that it's not available yet. They didn't right. make that, right. that translation yet. Yeah, so how would you do it? Um, it's, have you it's, thought about it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> actually, actually, I tell you, with the, <laughs> there is, I am involved a little bit in translating from English into Hebrew. You know, okay. The book Daily Wisdom. Yeah, yeah. So Daily Wisdom is a really popular book in English. Yeah. I am the editor of the translation into Hebrew. Uh-huh. Okay, we're holding in volume three right now. And we're definitely planning to do the same thing for the Chumash. The Daily Wisdom is actually taken from the Chumash edition, which is a full edition of, uh-huh. uh, you know, and we're thinking about doing it in Hebrew, actually, and we're working on it. I mean, we're not yet there, <laughs> but it's so strange yeah. that we're looking into English, thinking about the Hebrew. It's, it's complicated, you know, the, the, you're asking me about the Israelis, maybe give me some more direction where to take it. It's a big question. Yeah, I, I never, what do you mean, what's the story of the Israelis? I mean, I, I kind of know what you mean. It confused me, because here's the here's thing. I can't figure out what the Israelis... I, honestly, I'm, I'm, just, I'm, I'm just telling you how, how I experience it. I can't tell if they're super, super uh, skeptical or super, super, like, overly believing. Because like, I see the both extremes. Like, one, one, one hand, like, super cynicism. They don't believe anything. And then you see the other extreme of, like, without questioning, with, you know, in Chabad, everything's intellect. Just simple, like, but, but like, almost zealous, like they just buy it or it's, I don't know. It's, you know, with the Russians, I see it's like they're skeptical, but I understand why they're skeptical because the communists burnt out any level of, of, of trust. But then when they buy in, then they buy in, they're very, very strong. Like they're right. very stubborn because they're very stubborn also. So once they buy in, then they're very stubborn about it. So that makes sense. I like kind of figured that out. I can't figure out the Israeli mentality. Okay, well, it's it's a big topic, you know. It's a big I want to know about it. But I'll tell you, I'll tell you. I think a key, a key element in the Israeli story, and I hate to say it, but I have to mm-hmm. because I think it's true. The Holocaust. Really? Yes. Yes. Israel, okay. the state of Israel, is actually, unfortunately, a product of the Holocaust. That's the greatness of the state of Israel, and that's the. Uh, problem of the state of Israel. Okay. Because 
basically the Jews after the Holocaust went to Israel, and and the ones who after the Holocaust didn't want to do anything with Judaism, didn't want to have anything to do with Judaism, they didn't make it to Israel. Some Jews, many okay. Jews, the message of the Holocaust, unfortunately for them, was assimilate and forget about the whole right. thing. Those guys didn't right. make it to, right. to So Israel. they went to America or whatever? And then, yeah, and then, they, they, they went wherever they went, right? right? They're gone. The, they're gone. The ones who went to Israel, um, because, because let me give like a big credit to the Zionists, okay? okay. I, I want to do it even though okay. I'm... I'm I don't want to say I'm anti-Zionist. That's that's uh, you know it's okay. pretty pretty harsh. Term, but you're but non-Zionist. I'm a non-Zionist. I'm a non-Zionist. <laughs> okay. Thank you for helping me here. Okay, we're okay, but creating do... new words. Right. Okay, it's a nice. By word. the way, in in America, well, I think the the, the internet did this to everyone. Everyone's polarized. So you, you're, I'll tell you a joke. This is, I don't even tell me if this is an Israeli joke because to my knowledge, this is an American joke about Israelis. Okay. An American was flying on El Al. And the Israeli flight attendant comes over and says, would you like dinner? So he says, what are my options? She says, two options. You eat or you don't. <laughs> okay? So that's an American joke about, like, Israelis. Israeli very, mentality. Yeah, very tough. But um, in America, it's like, you have two options. It's like, R and D, right? Everything is polarized. Right, so it's like, right. you're Zionist or anti-Zionist? Maybe it's more nuanced than that. It is. <laughs> it's way more nuanced. Way I, more nuanced. Okay. I grew up in a Zionist home, by the way. So, not, you know, so I'm very familiar with it. Let's say that today I like the term that you offered me. It makes me feel good about it. You know, I'm a okay. non-Zionist. But I want to give a huge credit to, to Zionism. Okay. Let, let, me, let me tell what it is. And again, it's, this is the advantage and the disadvantage at the same time. Okay. In Europe, prior to, to World War II, you know, prior to World War I, the Enlightenment movement uh, pushed assimilation, basically. That's what it did. So the Zionists with those Jews were, yeah, they, they wanted to be modern, mm. but they did not want to kill the Judaism. They want to remain right. Jewish with a strong right. Jewish identity, right. but not religious. Right. It's those people post the Holocaust where they created the state of Israel. And, the, that's, and they were had, that's Israeli culture. Yes, and they have a lot of Jewish pride. Right. Very proud to be right. Jews. But they're very upset. They never treated the anger. This is we're going into maybe a different I channel, hear, no, I but hear with, this. you know trauma and therapy and all that. You 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 know okay. a lot about it, right? There is a lot of pent up anger about about God, about the world, about. And so I think I think that the issue, and I'm talking about current events, what's going yeah. on today, is that the narrative of the state of Israel is. Post-Holocaust, by the way, you know, they when they bring, like, let's say, the con- chancellor of Germany or the, right. whatever, they come to Israel, what did they take them? To Yad Vashem. Okay. That's the message, you know, that Holocaust right. should never happen again. Right, right. And that, that is not a good enough... As opposed to, they take them to Yad Vashem, the Holocaust Museum, as opposed to... As opposed to... Uh, take them to, no, take them to the Temple Mount. Okay. I mean, I know I sound I sound uh, radical here. But but so what, you know? As opposed to tell them to the wall and tell them here's where the temple was, or, or, or as opposed to, you know what? As opposed to talking to them about the vision of the future of Israel. Uh-huh. Where is the vision of the future? It's all about let's not let whatever happened in the past, mm-hmm. let's not mm-hmm. let it happen again. So, but mm-hmm. back back to the regular Israeli without all the big words, I think that's, that's a key uh, way to understand Israelis. Israelis mm-hmm. are, are very Jewish, in mm-hmm. terms of Jewish pride, a Jewish identity, protecting Jews, Jews shouldn't be killed, Jews shouldn't be hurt, you know? 
But in terms of you're talking spirituality, oh, 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 hello, you're talking about God. We have a long cheshben with God. Mm. You want to speak to me about God? I'm still upset about my grandfather, <laughs> you know? Uh-huh, uh-huh. We're in America. Uh-huh. We're in America. The secularism of America didn't come from anger. People mm. came here, then they had to work on Shabbos. That's why they're secular, not because they have anything. It's almost like in America. It's like, you want to talk to me about God? Okay, I don't, I'm not familiar with the topic, but it's a clean slate. Exactly. Okay, okay tell, so tell them, ignorant. I, I, we don't have a relationship. It's not loaded. It's not loaded. Israel, it's, it's a, a triggering. Load. It's, exactly. It's a trigger. It's a trigger. And you're saying even now, where you're talking about grandchildren of survivors, it's still loaded. You're, talking, you're saying it's unprocessed word, trauma. Yeah, that, exactly. Uh, untreated, untreated trauma. And that's why I use the word narrative, because that's what they teach in the schools. And that's what, you know, the most religious event in Israel is Yom HaShoah. Or, or what, do mean, what do you mean by most religious? Meaning that, that, that it's like a religious ritual. You have to stand and quiet and there's uh-huh. like protocol. Religious means, that, you know, you go, you go to shul, right. there's things you have to do. So All you think these... the thing that Israelis take the most seriously. Right. Because Israelis, they, they, they like their lights on us. They like to scoff. It's, right. I think it's part of the cynicism. Right. But you're when saying Yom HaShoah is not a joke. Everyone will take it seriously. Yes, yes. Or you're saying the most generally, you know, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, because that is where the identity uh-huh. is expressed. You know, we all agree that we don't want the Shoah to happen again. There we have agreement, you know, there we have an identity. And that affects a lot of the outlook of religion because once Shoah is your basis of your relationship mm-hmm. with the spirituality or with God or with your own identity, it's a mess. Why? Because the Shoah is a mess. I mean, it's you start, your starting point is like, I can't believe God did this. Mm-hmm. I can't believe the world is so cruel and evil. And to start there, like you said before, the American is a clean slate. You know, mm-hmm. it's like, okay, let me hear what you have to say. Israeli is already loaded and, and, and triggered if you say the word God. You know, mm. you know the word God doesn't appear in the independence and declaration of independence of Israel. Right, the state of Israel. Right. It's one of the it complaints. It says the rock of Israel. Rock of Israel. That was like the compromise. Right. The compromise. The rock <laughs> Ambiguous. Of Israel. Whatever did, you were. Yeah, they did yeah. not say yeah. God so and so, such and such. They didn't. Right. They couldn't even say the word God a few years after the Holocaust. That's how how harsh uh, the the wounds. That's how. You're saying they couldn't bring themselves to say they it. Couldn't bring themselves to say it exactly because it was a like, God. Uh, hello, you know. Slow down. Don't 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 talk about God. You know. Let's talk about uh, Jews, state. You know. You, you talked about before about turning darkness into light. Okay. Okay. One of the things we learn in this is that there's no such thing as a setback. There's no such thing as loss. Everything is progress. Everything is forward motion because um, it's all part of a process. So e- even the gullus itself, the exile, is not the is not a deviation. It is part of the process forward to gaula to perfection. Okay, and the more you learn chassidus, the more you learn this. And in in, your, in the microcosm, in your personal life, even when God forbid you have a moral failing, but that's not. If you look at a snapshot, yeah, you're going away from God. But if you look at it as a movie, if you look at the whole process, you're going toward God. Even when you're going away from him, you're going toward him, right? You can't get away from God, right? right? So everything is always moving forward. So here's my question, deep philosophical question for you. Apparently, Hashem created 
an entire people, or rather, by people, I don't mean the Jewish people are the people, but a segment, a subculture called the modern Israeli, which is a lot of people, millions of people, and they have a, a culture. And I'm not saying that it's a uniform that everyone, and you're not implying that either, that there's one culture, but it, it, generalizing, there is a certain prevailing culture. And the way you categorized it is a culture of unprocessed trauma, a culture of, I still have very real issues with God. I want my Jewish identity, but I can't stand the religious aspect of it. Um, so Hashem created, and I'm not getting to why did Hashem make the Holocaust. I, I, I'm not, right. But I'm saying the reality is now post-Holocaust, Hashem made millions of people who belong to this culture, which you just characterized as people who have this complex relationship, very complicated relationship with God. It has to be part of the plan. It has to be a good thing. It has to be ultimately a way of bringing us closer to redemption. So how is the creation of modern Israeli culture part and parcel of the unfolding of the process of the ultimate redemption? <laughs> All right. That's like a bombshell question. But I want to say, before I answer it, I want to say just a um, little uh, reservations about what I said before. Okay. What I described before is mostly the, of, the official state of Israel, you know, uh, culture. Uh-huh. It's not... Is this like in Iran, where you have the government and the people? <laughs> well, you know, that's, that's a pretty uh, interesting comparison. No, but I want to say it's... It's like a mix because it's there. I'm not. I'm not taking back what right. I said, but I do want to say that um, you're describing the establishment, right? The establishment in the past view, which is changing now, which is changing okay. now. So a lot of young Israelis are, are more open to God and are more open to to, to Judaism and mm-hmm. to the Jewish culture and everything. There's still a lot. Do of, you think that's why Israelis get more religious when they go to America? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Because, because the American... Because they feel Jewish. Israelis feel Jewish. You know what? They, many of them claim they're more Jewish than me and you. Because they go to the army, they defend the right. Jewish people. Right. And you know what? They, they got a point they sometimes. with their feet. They, right, right. right. There's, there's, a, there's, a, there's something amazing about what they do. I can't, right. I can't dismiss it, right? So they feel very, very Jewish. When they come to America, suddenly, you know, there's no Hebrew. There's no community. Right. There's no army. We're not finding a shared enemy. Right. Got to go to show. <laughs> I had to do something Jewish, send my kids to some Jewish uh, kindergarten, right. something, go to Chabad right. for Shabbos. Right. That's why outside of Israel, Israelis, many of them, not all of them, many of them also. But I was saying something additional. That I'm, what you're describing, I'm familiar with, that they, when they have no other way of expressing their Jewish identity, so then they, they, they would find, find religion. And right. I'm saying something else based on what you told me earlier, that America is sort of the blank slate. Is it possible when the Israeli leaves Israel and he goes to America, in a way he sort of gets a blank slate. Right. Because like, it's okay to meet God here because there's no history. There's no bad blood. <laughs> there's also another point which I really don't want to talk about so, so much. talk about it. But <laughs> in Israel, religion is part of the politics. Okay. And that doesn't exist here. At least not, not for the Israelis. It may exist somehow for America, but... It's a very, very different. So here, when you go to shul, you don't feel that the rabbi is going to convince you why you have to vote the way he thinks. Right. So it's a different 
Bold. I want to talk about that real quick. Okay. Because I think this there's a huge danger of that happening in America, and I've been warning my colleagues about this. I agree with you. It's a big danger. I spoke about it's before the polarization. And rabbis, I got to tell you something. When you get up there and you say a thinly veiled regurgitation of your favorite YouTube pundits political editorial, you're not allowed to do it. You're I, not I, allowed to do it. I agree with you. A, a shul has to be a place where a Jew coming from any type of background can come and leave their politics at the door and just connect on a Jewish level. Absolutely. You know, I was I was a shliach in Oregon. This is another okay. chapter okay. in my it's life. It's a very you know? political, I mean... Yeah, very liberal, very you know, left-leaning, yeah. whatever you, whatever those names are. Uh, it was very challenging to be there. But, you know, and, and my family, my wife's family is from Northern California. I go there very often, and I, you know, they're not all religious there at all, you know. So, yes, I totally agree with you. I think the, there's a big problem going on because we tend to get the circle that's closer to us, and that's the kind of the right-wing politics, Republicans, you know, right. Trumpy, whatever, the whole, right? right? Yeah. We've got to be careful. We've got to be careful. It's, it's, it's no question that if you represent organized religion, in today's political climate, the more conservative-leaning people are low-hanging fruit. Right. Okay, but I, I, let, me, let me just talk about this. I was talking to a friend of mine, and, and, and I said, you know, that, you know, today... Chabad is so established and shuls and it's almost like normal. It's almost like a part of normal right. Judaism, mainstream Judaism. But, you know, when I was a Bachar, a lot of it was just guerrilla, you know, like Judaism going out on the, on the street, Miftoyim, you know, standing right. on the street corner, excuse me, sir, are you Jewish? Excuse me, are you Jewish? And we love dealing with those people who were like antagonistic the to religion, the most secular, the most, and and that's to us, that's what it was all about. And I feel like I'm just going to editorialize for a second. We got so comfortable with, oh, now we're surrounded with people who don't push back, people who are pro-religion, pro-traditional uh, values. And it's like, come on, that's not, it's not even fun. <laughs> like, I, I, it's that's not right. a Shabbos table without somebody screaming atheistic things at me. And how can you believe that? And you're so you're uh, so backward. Those are the conversations we used to love, and now it's almost like, oh, I don't want to talk to those guys. Absolutely, you know, I live in Tzfas. I lived there for eleven years, and when people ask me how how do you like Tzfas, I, say, I love Tzfas, but. Where are the secular Jews? I mean, I, I want to hang out in Tel Aviv more for the same reason that you say. I am uh, trained by the Rebbe, you know. Right. I'm, I love everybody. Right. I want to talk to everybody. I don't want to be surrounded by religious Jews. I mean, I love religious Jews, but, I mean, give me some color. Give me yeah. some challenge, you know. Yeah. I, yeah. I give a shiur in Miron. It's like, come on, guys, tell me that I'm wrong. You know, right. let's just uh, argue. I, I totally agree with you. I think that um, it shouldn't be like that. We shouldn't fall into this political trap, you know. Uh, you said low-hanging fruit, you know. We should uh, be very careful. It's uh, it's hard. It's also, I mean, it's a big topic, but I agree with you. You know, you talk about Zionist, anti-Zionist, and now non-Zionist. There was a great story that I saw a few years ago that the Shluchim, uh, University of Wisconsin-Madison, which is also very liberal. I mean, I don't know how you compare it to, to Oregon, but Madison is it's like liberal, mad yeah. town. It's, <laughs> and, the, and there was a story about a girl who was very close to Chabad and to the Shluchim there, to the Matasovs. And she was a Jewish girl, the president of the anti-Zionist 
club on campus. Mm-hmm. And I read that and I said, you know, that's that's as it should be. Because she's Jewish and she has a place at our we're a family. And whatever her politics are, to the contrary, let her politics be the most extreme politics. If we don't have a place for someone like that, then then are we a family? I'll, I'll respond with a story from Oregon. You know, when I came to Oregon, so I met a Jew, a youth by the name Gary, who was a really good guy. I remember this very clearly. We were sitting on a bench somewhere in a park, and he tells me, I want to tell you, Rabbi, I don't give a penny to anything relating to Israel. I said, why? He said, because when I see the picture of the Israeli soldier with a gun, I just can't handle it. And he gave me his whole speech. And you know what I told him? I told him, listen, Gary, politically, you know, I think we don't vote for the same party. But <laughs> spiritually, I totally understand what you're saying. Mm-hmm. You know why you can't stand the picture of the soldier with a gun? Because you know very deeply inside your neshama that Jewish people should fix the world with other tools. And with that, I agree with you. I'm also in agreement with you. And you know what? He loved it. And we became very good friends. We gave money to Chabad. And he was, he was telling me, his friends are telling him, like, how come you go to Chabad? I said, because I love the rabbi, the way he said it. You know, it's, but, it, but it's true. It wasn't like a line I came up with. I could disagree with somebody politically, you know, but I could appreciate the other opinion. It's, uh, it comes from, you know, all those liberal ideas, they come from being very spiritual, very sensitive. Could be that technically we disagree, but... I don't have to X another person, you know, cancel culture. You know, I'm like, it's, it's crazy. Yeah, yeah. I, th- I think that what's lacking is the nuance. Right, and that is something I learned from the Rebbe. Nuance. Yeah, that... that <laughs> yeah. You, you, yeah. Could, you could disagree yeah. and still be friends, you know, and still find a point of agreement and, and not just focus yeah. on, on, on what takes us apart, you know. But, you know, we started with uh, um, speaking Hasidus yeah. in Hebrew, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's, 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 it's very interesting, you know. I, I listened to um, um, a talk by the Rebbe yesterday. It's one of my favorite talks. I listened to it before, and it's about translating Hasidus. Okay. The Rebbe says there are a line that translation is not just the words, but it's actually the getting into the mind of the listener, mm. the type of life that they live, the culture that they are in, and trying to fit the ideas of whatever you're translating into their world. Okay. And, and I saw it when I worked on translation. I'm not tr- a translator. I'm an editor. Mm-hmm. So I would get the materials, and my job is basically to, to you know, make it better, you know. Make it read like it was written in that language originally. Right, that's, that's the trick of translation. I know. It's it shouldn't hard. read like a translation. Right, it right. should look like it was written in that language. Right. It's, it's a very hard thing, and mm-hmm. uh, that's the work, you know. So, so that's my leading thought when I work on those kind of texts. Is That's what it is. I want somebody who is um, not steeped in rabbinic literature, not steeped in Hasidic literature, but somebody who reads modern Hebrew. And somebody that, that, you know, they watch TV, they watch movies, they watch the news. That's the language that they speak. We want to insert into that language the idea that, that is translated. I wonder if you could, this is probably not possible, but for a real American like me, give me an example of a translation choice that you made to get it just right for the Israeli ear. 
<laughs> that's that's a tough one. I, I you know, I don't see how I uh, could get one off. Is there something that? I, I'll give you an example okay. yeah, of yeah. something that just popped into my okay. mind. It's a very, it's yeah. a very little thing. Okay, it's it may not be exactly what you're looking for, but I, I translate a story where somebody describes meeting the rabbi, talking to the rabbi, and the rabbi said, and he writes, and the rabbi giggled. Okay. In English? In English. Okay. Okay, when you say this in Hebrew, giggled is gichech. That's the word gichech. It's not coming out the same as giggled in English because giggled in English, the way I get it, is not a derogatory... There's no derogatory. No, it's very quaint. It's, it's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> right. Hey. In Hebrew. Kind of cute almost. It's, right, yeah. right. And it's okay. It's also a fitting word to say about the Rebbe. The right. Rebbe giggled. It's okay. Right. The Rebbe can giggle. It's not know? disrespectful. Right. right. It's not disrespect, disrespectful for the Rebbe to use a term like this. But when you translate it into Hebrew and you say, Rebbe gichech. So first of all, it's not a word that really fits a Rebbe so much. But, but worse than that, it has a derogatory tone to it. In like Hebrew. you're laughing at the person? Right. Yeah? Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. like... Which the Rebbe would never... I mean, that's so the opposite of the way the Rebbe treated everyone. Right. Now, if you if you go with pure translation, it's the right, it's the correct translation of the word. Uh-huh. But if you go with the spirit of what was going on in the meeting, the person meeting the Rebbe... So what did you do? I did I did smiled on this one. I, I, I sat on it for a long time. And I just... Why, could, why not laugh? Um, felt that was too much. Yeah, because giggled ones, it sounded like he, he giggles less than a laugh. Yeah, I thought smiled was was more appropriate. That's uh-huh. just no. but that's not the best example for what you ask for. Okay, no, because, that is good though. Okay, that's well, very interesting. Okay, well, here is an example of how one word. No, but that's huge because I'll tell you something. Like somebody's reading this, some Israeli, and the story is probably a very nice story. Whatever it is, I, you didn't even say what the story was about, but. And he could read that, and that one word could turn him off. That's right. Oh, Lubavitch Rebbe is laughing at people. Right, right. That's it. Exactly. So that that was the consideration, and and things like that. You know, you have to be you have to be familiar with both languages. You know, I can't do it necessarily from Hebrew to English. Mm. You know, even though my English is okay, but I I don't think I would take such a job. But when I understand the English really well, and I have to play with the Hebrew, that that I can do. You know. So, but, again, it takes more. This is an example that I say, it takes more than just the actual technical words. You have to get the feel of the language or what people mean when they say something, you know? You just said the low-hanging fruit, you know? Right. There's no such a thing in Hebrew. <laughs> right. but, but I get what you're saying, you know? It's, right. it's a term. Right. It's, it's an idiom. idiom. It's a, right, right, exactly. Well, how do you say it in Pitgam? Yeah, Pitgam. Niv? Mm, yeah, no, not Niv. Uh, Pitgam, maybe. I don't know. I was speaking to my kids the other day about the difference between Moshal and Melitza. Right. right. Oh, you could probably help me here. <laughs> I, I, I figured out what I thought it meant the difference between Moshal and Melitza. What what's it? What did you what did you say? I said Moshal and and actually I had another one and Guzma. Okay. 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 I said a Moshal, you translate it as a metaphor. Right. Where you're comparing something to another thing. And usually comparing an unfamiliar thing to a familiar thing so the person could understand the unfamiliar, unfamiliar. thing by way of its association to a familiar thing. I said, Melitza is more a language thing. 
we're using a phrase or a group of words that have meaning in, a, in an original context, but now that group of words is used in other contexts and, and to the extent you may not even be aware of the original context. Like low-hanging fruit, you could you could probably work out. It's pretty easy. Oh, it's a it's talking about right. a farm. You're picking fruit. Right. Oh, it's, okay. it's like a mushroom. It's right. a mushroom. But 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 you know, but you're using it in a context where it's almost like a mushroom. Right. But the, the melitza, like, uh, is when you have. I'll give you an example. Okay. Uh, a a wording from a verse. Chelik elikamimal. Chelik elikamimal. Which, by the way. Somebody complained to me, and he said, "Chassidus, I don't like Chassidus because the Alter Rebbe said that a soul is a part of God, and that's uh, that's heretical." So I said, "Do you know, by the way, that Chelik Elikamimal is not from the Alter Rebbe?" So the Vilna Gaon also used that expression, and actually it predates the Alter Rebbe and the Vilna Gaon. I think the source is the Shafatal. The only addition of the altar is, is mamish. mamish. Right, mamish. right. Even in a body, it's still. But <laughs> is a Lashon Apostle from Eov, where he says, This is my portion from God from God above. So <laughs> means my portion from God, like my destiny. This is this is my lot, my lot in life. So you're taking the group of words and you're using them in another context. A person who reads that, they don't know it's a Lashon Apostle from Eov. They don't know that the, that group of words originally appeared in Scripture. By the way, you know what was really amazing to me? When I actually started uh, paying attention to the Haftorah and Shul. You know how many famous expressions are from there? <laughs> I almost felt like the guy who the Chassid sat down in Shul and he opened up a, a, a Shir Hashirim, a Song of Songs. And he said, who wrote this thing? He stole all of Lakute Torah. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. That's good. That's good. Ava Kirish Ve'esh, Ava Rabba, yeah. That's good. Yeah, I think Melitza is also a little bit of a code word. Like Marshall is using like a parable, you know. Melitza requires a little bit more uh, wisdom, a little bit more understanding of perspective that not everybody could get it. Oh, know? so now you remind me of another thing because I, I it was a Shabbos table discussion I had with my kids. So I, I brought out a, a Rambam, Sefer Shoftim, Hilchas, Molochim. And I was reading about Mashiach. At the very end of Rambam, he talks about Mashiach. And he says, V'gar zev im keves. Yeah. So he says there that this is a marshal. This all. This is all. It doesn't literally mean that the nature of it means uh, a sheep will dwell, uh, a wolf the wolf. will dwell will dwell with a lamb. He says it doesn't literally mean that because that would be miraculous, and the Mashiach is not a miraculous thing, at least not at first. Um, he says it means that there will be world peace, that the aggressive countries will become docile. So it's a mashal. But then he uses another word. He says mashal vechido. So my kid said, "What's the difference between a mashal and a chido?" So I, oh, I didn't think about that. I thought about, I thought about Mashal, Melitza, Guzma. Um, then I realized, okay, what's a chida? Chida is um, not a, what's the word? Riddle. Riddle, right. So what, so functionally, what's a chida as opposed to a Mashal? This is what I came up with when my kids asked me. Okay. It's a Mashal that's supposed to be a little bit hard to figure out. 
Okay. The purpose of a marshal is to be easy to figure out. That's the whole purpose of it. A chido is supposed it to make you work a little bit. Requires work. Oh, that's nice. I like that. A riddle is supposed to make you work. Yeah. Okay. So, bottom line. Uh, you, what, what do you want to tell us about? Uh, I don't know, what's, what, you, what's your message for us? So, what do we have to do to, to bring Mashiach? What's the bottom line? Bottom line, I think that um, we started with uh, Rashbi, started with Miron, and I think that um, you know we talked about spreading the wellsprings. We do believe very strongly that the secrets of the universe are found in in the you know in the Torah, of course, but in the mystical elements of the Torah. Mm-hmm. We also do believe very strongly that those esoteric esoteric teachings that were not available to the mass public, right are available now to every single Jew and, in fact, to every single person in the world. Mm-hmm. So what's now left to do is to make those teachings actually available um, to, to, make, to, bridge, to bridge between the common language, the common culture, mm. and those esoteric parts of Judaism. I think, I think it's being done. I think that's what you do. That's what I try to do. Many people try to do it. But like you said in the beginning, there's so much more work to do. I think that more people, uh, my message is for more people to look into this idea that basically whatever, whatever wounds and diseases, I'm, I'm talking about spiritual and mental disease, you know, stress and trauma and, and all the, 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 the crazy stuff that's going on, and people are, you know, walking around themselves trying mm-hmm. to find solutions. Mm-hmm. And there's, there's some great stuff going on. Uh, trust me, I'm not putting anybody down. However, I think a lot more attention should be put into looking in those teachings. People like you and me, we should work harder to, to translate stuff, to try to explain it. And people who are consuming the information should be... You're talking about in Yonam Nafshim. Yeah, yeah. Like, like spiritual matters, inner about work. About the person, about... Uh, yeah, or to use another Lashon Apostolic from from Mibsari Echse Alaka. Right, right. So right. this says you learn about high spiritual worlds, and really, it is learning about yourself. Right. I think you asked me before to give an example of the Zohar, and we talked about turning darkness into light. Yeah. I, I would say one more thing, and that is that the concept that the world consciousness is actually in our minds. It is there. In other words, we're looking at the world we're like we want to be more love. Right. Well, it up, it's up to me. If my consciousness is going to be more full of love then the people around me are going to be more full of love. We, we have the ability to change the world with our own minds. I totally believe that, but it requires a lot of, a lot of inner work and a lot of study of the popular teachings. Okay, this is, so you're, you're challenging everyone out there to study Panimia Satayra, the inner dimension of Taira, whether, whether it's Kabbalah, Chassidus, and, and not just, and I want to again remind everyone, not just what you study, but you said when, at a good time, and also where. where? So maybe you want to encourage people if yes. they're ever. I do want How do you get from Ben Gurion to, uh, to Miron? What's to the Miron? quickest? Uh... <laughs> Actually, it became easier in recent yeah. years. You know, the road system in Israel has yeah. improved tremendously. Yeah. Well, we'll start with, with the Rebbe right here, yeah. like you mentioned in the beginning, you know, coming to the Rebbe and uh-huh. hanging out by. So by, you started the oil. Started the oil. It's close to JFK. You go right? to JFK. <laughs> and when you come to Israel, yeah, absolutely check out Miron. You know, there have been some, uh, you know, 
crazy things happening there. Unfortunately, it made headlines for negative reasons, but that's another turning darkness into light, you know? So a lot of people heard of Miron in the last two years, mm-hmm. not for uh, positive reasons, but they, they heard about it. Mm-hmm. So if you heard about it, I'm saying to the people who right. hear it, right. if you heard about and it... And you haven't yet been there. And you haven't been, yeah, come. And, and, and before you come, I mean, not everybody could come tomorrow, get a hold of some uh, books of Pnimi Satora and check out the wisdom right. of, of Rabbi Shimon ben Yochai, the way it is loose, uh, explained in, in Hasidus. That's you know? beautiful. That's great. Amazing. And you should come. You should come to Miron, you know? Yeah, You're invited. Yeah. You're invited. I just don't know. Lag Bayma are very conflicted because the, the Rebbe said Lag Bayma that Ashbi is at the aisle. Right, right. So, so, so come some other time, have to you know? Come. Not in Lag Bayma. Anyway, it's too crowded. Any time but Lag Bayma. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Come when it's quiet. You know, I come here also. Right. It's quiet now. Right. It's not yeah, busy. Yeah. So come when nobody's right. there. You're getting yeah. out of here before Yud Shvat. Before exactly. get, okay. <laughs> before okay. Amazing. Amazing. Shukayach. Thank you. Thank, Thank you, you so much. Thank you so much. Really, really amazing. Thank you. Thanks.